We are going to let the ancient words impart right now. They are ancient, but they are relevant. And so that's what's so beautiful about God's Word, written 2,000 plus years ago. It yet has as much relevance for our lives and what God knows that we need and to help to guide us as well. So welcome. I'm Pastor Dave Mitchell, and uh, I was one of the guys that you saw on the big screen there. I was the young one uh, up there, and so I'm sure you could pick me out of that. I almost wore that shirt again today, but thankfully I didn't. What a faux pas that would be. But uh, we're excited to be worshiping with you as we continue on. I was intrigued by some of the things, how relevant God's Word is. It's as relevant as the uh, Orange County Register. Remember, remember the register? Just yesterday, there was this as the headline, the front page of the Orange County Register. This couple, I don't know them personally, but Marty and his wife, they are going to take that little class of kindergartners and they promised all of those kindergartners that they will pay for their entire college tuition for all four years. That's what you call generosity. Now, not all of us can do that, obviously, but he said, I was debating about buying a sailboat or should I use it in some other way? And he chose to say to these beautiful little children at the Rio Vista Elementary School that I want to pay for your college education I will forego the sailboat. He says, I just have to work a little bit longer, but that's okay. He said, it'll probably cost him about a million dollars to be able to do that. That's what I call a generous spirit. They go to Eastside Christian Church. The only thing that would have made that article better is he went to Calvary Church. <laughs> but other than that, and the kindergarten teacher there, right in the middle of the screen that you see between the husband and the wife, she also goes to Eastside Christian. So obviously there is a Christ-centered, biblically-based format that is being unfolding in their lives. And so I love that. But not to be outdone, also this week in the Orange County Register on the front page was our own Robert Stone right here from Calvary Church. See Robert playing his violin. You often will see he and his wife up here playing the violin as well. And uh, he goes to various places like this uh, convalescent facility and offers to play the violin to bring music to their hearts in their minds to bless them as well. What I like about both of those stories is that whether the Rio Vista Elementary School, there is the money that will be given for the college education of those kids or the music that is being given to those who are in some sort of physical need, both of them demonstrate to you and to me that there are a variety of ways that we express the generosity of God. Money, Music, it's all ministry. Some people give of their money. Some people give of their time and their talent. But all of it are demonstrations of generosity. I'd like for us to be able to learn from, how, from God how He is a generous God and build around that. And so I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles in hand and turn with me to Matthew 6. And that I have an outline that is available. I'm going to outline what I believe God wants us to know in Matthew 6, 19 through 34. And you have an outline that breaks down the passage. As we just sang about the ancient words of God, it doesn't mean that they are ancient in the sense that they are irrelevant, as I said. They are relevant. I want to show you on the outline as we go through it and show how this reveals itself to us. Jesus is speaking in Matthew chapter 6. In fact, this is what is referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus Christ had come to the people of Israel. He had offered himself as king. And then he said, if I'm going to be king, this is the way the government's going to work. 
So when you think about it, Matthew's chapters 5, 6, and 7 were sort of the constitution of the kingdom that Jesus had come to offer to the nation of Israel. Now they rejected him as king, but he said, nevertheless, these are the principles by which you will live if I am your king. And so he teaches them these things. And in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, let me just read to verse 24. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The eye of the lamp of the body, so then if your eye is the is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Taking that first portion of that, Jesus Christ has given to us a sense of direction because he wants us to understand a generous heart's focus. Now, when you think about the word generous, a little bit of a word study in the Hebrew is the Old Testament, Greek is the New Testament. It's interesting how these two words have a little bit different flavor. The Hebrew word in the Old Testament means to be caring, to be uh, have this heart of, of sympathy, of feeling sympathy for someone. In fact, it sometimes in the root word means to incline oneself, to bend oneself down to another. And so the Hebrew mindset is that I'm going to show compassion to somebody else. Whether it's playing a violin or playing, paying for the college tuition or whatever else we might do that is in our time, talent, and treasure, it is showing sympathy and care for another person. A generous person is one who sympathizes and cares for another. The Greek word is a more active word, and we'll show you that next Sunday, as a matter of fact, but it literally means I am ready to help. I am there. And we'll break that down for you next Sunday. But this is the heart and the mind behind this, the sympathetic feeling for what God is doing around the world and people's lives that surround me. The focus of the generous heart is this. It breaks down in these ways as we just read the passage. You need to store up for yourselves heavenly treasures to strengthen and protect your heart. And so Jesus tells us that where my heart and my treasure are, that is where I will live. If my treasure, for example is this. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. If that's where my heart is, my heart is going to be destroyed, broken, or stolen. And so if my heart is built around those things of the treasures of this earth, then it's going to be destroyed. It's interesting when Jesus said this, this word for store and the word for treasure are essentially the same word. We get the English word thesaurus from it. And a thesaurus is a storehouse of words that shows various ways to say the same thing. And Jesus says, I don't want you to become a thesaurus of a thesaurus of things. I don't want you to treasure treasures. That's in the world today. Because your heart will be either destroyed, broken, or stolen. So then he says, on the contrast, I want you to have your heart where it will not be destroyed. 
where it will not be broken, where it will never be stolen. As Jesus says, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in or steal. It's a mindset. It's a focus. The generous focus is focusing on those things that I know I will never lose. And there's an ancient story, speaking of ancient words, there's an ancient story that goes all the way back to John Wesley. And uh, he is a familiar person to cite when it comes to this whole spirit of generosity. John Wesley, the great Methodist preacher, the hymn writer, uh, he and his brother, just tremendous songs that we still sing today. And John Wesley was out preaching and he had a group of people came to him and gave him a warning sign and says, your house has just burned down. And John Wesley looked at him and says, I don't own a home. The house I live in is owned by God. God's house is burned down. And then he says to him, one less responsibility for me. Now, that is a focus. Now, if I had to tell some of you today that your house is burned down, I'm not sure we could all sort of say those things. But when you have that kind of a focus that my heart is built on the treasures of heaven, then it doesn't matter what happens to the treasures of earth because my heart can never be destroyed, broken, or stolen because the treasures of heaven continue forever. Nothing can take that away. And then he says, I want you to have a very clear singular purpose. Jesus says, taking just the one verse, the eye is the lamp of the body, so then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. To be clear, that Greek word for clear, actually it means a singular focus. He says, I don't want you to clutter up your eyes, your heart, with the treasures of the world, because the treasures of the world, they cause you to not see clearly or have a singular focus. I want your eye to be completely clear. When it's clear, you have a focus on those things that are heavenly and are eternal. I put on the back side of the outline, I love this little quote. You can read it for yourself as well. Let me read it with you. Sometimes we don't look at the digging deeper on the back side, and that's okay. I forgive you. I love this uh, quote of G. Campbell Morgan. And again, in the days in which he lived a couple of generations ago, they sometimes write these flowery ways that we don't really speak or write today. But I love the way he has this sense of, of wealth. You are to remember with a passion burning within you that you are not a child of today. You are not, a, you are not of the earth. You are more than the dust. You are a child of tomorrow. You are of the eternities. You are of the offspring of the deity. The measurements of your lives cannot be circumscribed by the point where the blue sky kisses the green earth. All the fact of your life cannot be encompassed in the one small sphere upon which you live. You belong to the infinite. If you make your fortune on the earth, poor, sorry, silly soul, you have made a fortune and stored it in a place where you cannot hold it. Make your fortune, but store it where it will be great. Oh, sorry. Store it where it will greet you in the dawning of the new morning. Uh, That's a focus 
on heavenly treasures. That's a singular focus where the eye is clear. I understand that everything that I enjoy in this world today, and some people enjoy more, some less, it's all wonderful. But if that's where my heart is, my heart's going to be destroyed, broken, or stolen. And then finally, the focus has to go around this. So that each of us must choose who we will serve. As he summarizes this little section of it, no one can serve the two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and wealth. You just can't do it. So I need to make a choice. Idolatry is a problem for us. And I read from a book by Tim Keller, and every pastor in the world loves to quote Tim Keller. Tim Keller has a uh, a significant ministry there in New York City and doing a great job as a man in the middle of a lot of secular thinking. And he continues to bring the Word of God to people who desperately need it, whether they recognize the need or not. And I love this little section of his book called The Reason for God. If you like to read a good book, read the book The Reason for God by Tim Keller. And in it he challenges me and he hopefully challenges you about the problem of idolatry. And he puts it this way. This whole, this, again, the focus of a heart, the treasures of earth or the treasures of heaven I need to choose. And how easy it is to get into a form of idolatry of the treasures of this world when I really need to have my heart on the treasures of God. He puts it this way. If you center your life and identity on your spouse or partner, you will be emotionally dependent, jealous, and controlling. The other person's problems will control you. If you center your life and identity on your family or children, you will try to live your life through your children until they resent you and have no self of their own. At worst, you may abuse them if they displease you. If you center your life and your identity on your work, your career, you will be a driven workaholic and a boring, shallow person. At worst, you will lose your family and friends, and if your career goes poorly, you will develop a deep depression. If you center your life and identity on money and possessions, you will be eaten up by worry or jealousy about money. You will be willing to do the unethical things to maintain your lifestyle, which will eventually blow up your life. If you center your life and identity on pleasures and gratification and comfort, you will find yourself getting addicted to something, and you'll become chained to the escape strategies by which you avoid the hardness of life. If you center your life and identity on relationships and approval, You will be constantly overly hurt by criticism and thus always losing friends. You will fear confronting others and therefore be a useless friend. If you center your life and identity on a noble cause, an ideology, you will divide the world into the good and the bad. You'll demonize your opponents and ironically you will be controlled by your enemies. Without them you have no purpose. If you center your life and identity on religion and morality, you will, if you are living up to your moral standards, be proud, self-righteous, and cruel. If you don't live up to your moral standards, your guilt will be utterly devastating. 
It's challenging as I think that through. And I know it's hard to listen to somebody reading something like this from me. But I challenge you to look at that. Where is my treasure? It could be in things. It could be in families. It could be in spouses. It could be in children. It could be in work. It could be in causes. And if my heart is built around that treasure, and that's my treasure, and that's all that I have as a treasure, then my life is going to be shattered because all of those treasures are going to go away someday. But when my treasure is that which God says in His Word that is of eternal nature, that it's all around Christ and who He is and what He's done for me and what He's going to continue to do for me, I'll never have a broken heart about that. People, things, causes, and jobs, they break hearts. But when my treasure is that from heaven, my heart will never be broken, no matter what happens to the treasures of earth. That's what Jesus is teaching us here. And so I love this quote of John Calvin, where he says, Where riches hold the dominion of the heart, God has lost his authority. We want him to have authority. We want our focus to be on heavenly treasures. That's where our focus is. And then our faith. Our faith is what causes the generosity of God to be experienced in our lives. I'm not going to ask anybody for money. We're not going to sign up anybody to give anything. I just want you to enter into this beautiful picture of a God who is generous and abundant. You need faith that our Lord is generous and will fulfill His promise to provide for you. Picking up again in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25, Jesus says this. He continues with His sermon, His kingly sermon, His kingdom that He wants to establish. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on it. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father, He feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you, of little faith. Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear for clothing? Now the Gentiles, they eagerly seek after all those things. For your Heavenly Father knows that you need all those things. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day, has enough trouble of its own. God is a generous God, and He gives to us. Now, every so often, God reminds us how generous He is. This last week, one of the things I like to do is I go early in the morning and I ride my bicycle. And I ride out Santiago Canyon Road, as some of you know. And this last week, I rode out all the way to Cook's Corner. You know Cook's Corner? You all probably hang out there, don't you? It's a big biker bar. And it's kind of sleazy and dirty on the inside. 
but uh, you don't go there for that. Anyways, I'm walking around with my bicycle and looking at all the Harleys that are parked there. And there's a Harley parked there, and he's got a little sidecar. You know the little, little sidecars? you got the two on the bike, and then you got the little sidecar. you got the little windshield of the sidecar. It's attached, and it says Harley-Davidson on the sidecar. And so as I was looking at it, the owner of the bike walks up, he and his wife. I said, is that your bike? He says, yeah, it's my bike. Yeah, wow, that's really... I didn't know Harley made a little sidecar like that. I said, yeah, they do. And it was a 2003. It was the 100-year anniversary of the Harley-Davidson. And so I thought I'd just buy the car and a little sidecar goes with it. I said, wow. They, he says, they don't make those sidecars anymore. I said, that's too bad. You know, I think that people might be interested in buying those as his wife was climbing into the sidecar. I said, wow, that's, that's really terrific. He says, yeah, I also have another Harley. I said, oh, really? He says, I have a CVO. Now, if you don't know Harleys, what's wrong with you first? But <laughs> a CVO is the most expensive Harley there is. And uh, it's got the bigger engine, it's got all this extra stuff on it, and uh, if you can get more expensive of a Harley, <laughs> which almost seems impossible, that's possible with a CVO. I said, wow, so you have a CVO at home, you got the Harley, the sidecar here. Wow, that's really amazing. You can see the incredulity of my face. And he says, yeah, it's pretty easy when you win the Mega Lotto. So this guy's won the Mega Lotto in 2013. He says, I paid off all my debt, paid off all my line of credit, he says, and all other expenses. And I walked into the Harley store, and I wrote a check for $50,000 for the CVO 2014 Harley-Davidson. And I just sat there sort of stunned. And I says, yeah, life is good. And so, good for him, good for him. Couldn't, couldn't be happier for him. But what, as I rode back home on my little bicycle, it's an hour's ride from Cook's Corner to my house. It takes an hour. I was thinking, God, do you ever feel like you're being generous to the wrong people? And so there are those gifts that come our way, and we all have a choice into how we will use them. All I know is that Harleys do crash, and it can break your heart if that's where your treasure is. And so what God wants us to understand, that he is a generous God, and we don't look at others, we don't compare, we don't contrast, we just simply say, God, but I count with you. And that's what he's saying here. You are worth so much more. So let's break down a little bit of this that he gives to us in verses 25 to the end of the chapter. What should my faith do? How does my faith in a generous God help me? This is what he says. Your faith will drive away worry because you have a great worth to God. I worry about things. I worry about money. Candidly, I'll tell you, honestly, I worry about the budget at Calvary Church. I worry about the offerings. I worry about December income giving. I have lots of reasons to worry about money, both in personal finances and the church finances. It's a, it's a wonderful way to live. But God says, I want you to have faith that I am a generous God. For this reason, he says, do not be worried, Dave. Do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink. The word worried in the Greek language literally means to be distracted, to be drawn in different directions. 
It's a beautiful word, and we have more time, we'd break it down. But it's a sense of distraction. In fact, it's interesting. The English word for worry comes from the German word for worry, which means to strangle. So worry is sort of like a strangling of my heart. It is a distraction of my heart. And so Jesus says, I don't want you to live that way. I'm a generous God. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, nor they reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Look at these parrots. saw a parrot hanging above my car, and if there's a mess on it when I get back, I'm going to do something about that. But as we got on my car, there was a parrot, and they never seemed to worry. They just squawk all the time. Maybe they are worried. Maybe they have indigestion. But the birds never seem to worry. And so I take a life lesson from the animal world. And let me show you our two dogs. Little Scotty Terrier. You can see we love her by how much we care for her and groom her. And then Lucy is the little white dog. We inherited Lucy from my niece who used to live with us. And we're sort of stuck with her. But... uh, Lucy has, she has emotional problems, but she's growing on us. As I think about these two little dogs, the thing that I think about is Jesus says, look at the birds, I'm going to look at the dogs. Never once do our dogs worry. They don't worry about food. They don't worry about water. Why? Because they know Joy and I love them. And you know what we do every day? We feed them whether they need it or not. We feed them. And we fill up their dishes with water. We had a Scotty before this Scotty, and she would go in her dish, and she would go like this when it's empty. And you know what I would do? I'd get up over there. Oh, I'm sorry. Here. And I'd feed her. These dogs never think beyond tomorrow. They think about today, but they never worry about where their food's coming from. They have greater faith in me sometimes than I have faith in God. And God, Jesus said, aren't you worth more than... I'm worth more than them. They don't believe it, but I'm worth more than those dogs. They think they're worth more than us. They have all the entitlements of the world. It's incredible. Lucy was sitting in my chair this morning. Sometimes I have to kick her out of my own chair. It's just not, it's not fair. But they have faith that joy and I will feed them. And Jesus says, Dave, you're worth a lot more than they are. If I'll take care of you, you know, because you take care of them. That's what love looks like. So God wants us to know that He is a generous God. God wants us to know that we can have greater health if we have faith in His generosity. Jesus says, Who of you by being, by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Jesus created our bodies. Jesus was there in the beginning of the creation of the world. He created us. He knows what happens when we worry. He knows how stress can tear apart the fiber of our strength and our health. And so He says, Don't worry because it doesn't add to your world. In fact, He didn't say it, but conversely, it takes away your health. In fact, I did a little study this week. I'm not a doctor, and I won't even pretend to be one. But I read this doctor's report on what stress or worry does to you. Stress or worry causes a hormone hormone 
called neuropeptide NPY. And this is what the doctor said about this hormone. During periods of stress, nerves release a lot of NPY, and it gets into the bloodstream where it inhibits the cells in the immune system that look out for and destroy pathogens in the body. That stress makes you sick is no longer a myth. It is a reality, and we need to take it seriously. Worrying about God's provisions steals my health. Faith in God's provisions gives strength, literally, to my health. So if you're worried and you're stressed over the finances, please... Take advantage of our next steps that's in the bulletin to find freedom from worry by how you can have faith in the provisions of a mighty God. Your faith will allow you to pursue God's kingdom because you know that He's going to provide for you. That's what Jesus goes on to say. He says in verse 31, 33, But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I am freed up when I believe and have faith that God's provisions will be taking care of every need that I have. And like the dogs or like the birds, I know that He's going to provide for me, and I don't need to worry about tomorrow because He's taking care of me today. Then I can be freed up not to sit back and do nothing, but to pursue God's kingdom work. What does God call me to do? I want to put aside the worry of this world, the treasure of this life, because I want to focus on the treasures of heaven, and therefore I seek His kingdom. I seek His kingdom and His righteousness, because God's going to take care of everything else. There's a great story. Uh, you know another name, John Newton. Amazing grace. He was a slave trader, and then he got s- set free by Jesus, and got rid of his slaves, and had a this emancipation process of setting slaves free. In this Black History Month of February, what a great man that God used to change his life through Jesus Christ to set free those that had been tortured by the slave trade. So he writes the beautiful confessional, Amazing Grace, that God would save a wretch like me. He saw how wretched he was in that world. Well, John Newton tells a wonderful story that is probably legend more than anything. But I love it. Makes a good point. John Legend would tell the story. I mean, John Legend. It's somebody else. John Newton would tell the story about Alexander the Great. And it was a man that came to Alexander the Great back in those days and, and says, I have a beautiful daughter that I would like to give to you in marriage if you will just pay me for her. And so he says, okay, go to my treasurer and work out the f- numbers. So he goes to the treasurer and he asks for this enormous sum of money, way beyond anybody else has ever requested from Alexander the Great. He said, this is how much I want for my daughter. The treasurer says, there's no way I can approve that on my own. I've got to go to Alexander the Great and ask him. So he goes to Alexander and says, this is the enormous sum of money this guy has asked for his daughter. It's way out of line from everybody else's requests. And Alexander the Great responded in this way. I think it's fantastic. I like his request. He treats me as if I really am the king. He believes that I am fabulously wealthy and very generous, or he would never have asked me 
for such a large sum of money. As John Newton tells it, he says, that's the way God is. God loves it when we treat him as if he is the king. He does own it all. He is a generous God. And that I can seek his kingdom because he's going to provide everything else for me. I don't need to worry. My faith is in him. And he adds days to my life as I really believe that he is king. And he is wealthy. And he is generous. I want to live that way. Faith in a God who is generous to us. Why? So I don't have to worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough troubles. I don't want to worry about Monday. I want to walk by faith today. That our God is a mighty God. And that when you and I enter into that spirit of generosity, we enter into a brand new world. My treasure is not in this world because this world is going to destroy it. It's going to steal it. It's going to break it. But when my treasure is in God and His values, my heart will never be destroyed. My heart will never be broken. My heart will never be stolen. Because I put everything in His hands. And if He takes it, it's His. It's always His. So I don't worry about tomorrow. Because, you know, God's taking care of me today. That's good enough for me. I'm going to close a little video. I love this video. It tells the story of some of the most impoverished people in the world. And that when the most impoverished people in the world simply understand the concepts of generosity out of which God has given to them, God does, does abundant and uh, amazing things that take place. Take a look at this. Lal Rua lives in a tiny remote village in Mizoram. Her family sustains on a meager income of less than one dollar a day. Despite abject poverty, simple women like Lalwa are spearheading a revolution that is sweeping the world of missions. Their movement, Bufai Town, or a handful of rice. Bufai Town is a practice where each Mizo family puts aside a handful of rice every time they cook a meal and later gather it and offer to the church. The church in turn sells the rice and generates income to support its work. Rice has been the staple food of the people of Mizoram. You are giving what is basic, essential, fundamental to your life. You are sharing that with God. With the passage of time, people have given more than rice, vegetables, firewood, cereals, and their regular tithes, empowering the church to be self-sufficient. Mizoram state is the most backward state in India, and we are the poorest of the, of the poor, but still, we can raise funds for the ministry of the Lord. At the close of this last physical year, we received altogether around 13 million US dollars. 
out of that 12% of our total income is from the handful of rice collection with 1800 missionaries in india and many overseas the mizoram church is known as a missionary church world over this success is attributed to their selfless and creative giving it is not our richness or our poverty that make us serve the lord but our willingness so we mizoram people say as long as we have something to eat every day we have something to give to god every day i i just have a hard time understanding that here's the poorest of the poor and church wide 13 million dollars in one fiscal year and of that 12% just over a million dollars of a handful of rice every time they eat and they do it willingly in gratitude to all that they have i think about all that i have is my heart gracious is their gratitude to a god who has provided so much for me for us and that out of that we just can't hold back but be generous and when everybody has the generous heart of that focus that's heavenly and that faith in a god that provides god does amazing things as everybody partakes together one of the beautiful models of the generous god that we serve is that he said to his son Jesus in heaven son i want you to be born of a virgin because they are a sinful people that are on earth and i want you to become a human being i want you to smell what they smell feel what they feel i want your heart to break and you to weep over what sin has done to mankind that i have created and Jesus is on there. And so Jesus is a model of God's gracious giving. And that he gave his life on that cross to die for our sins, for your sins and my sins. And if I choose to believe in Jesus as the one who can forgive me, he will cleanse me and give me that eternal gift and provision that no one and nothing can take away. So if you've never received the gift of life that comes through Jesus Christ, everything I just said, don't worry about it. Because these are God's truths for people who love him and are walking according to his word. And if you'd like to enter into that new world of generosity from God and his provision for you, the greatest provision that he has made available for you is his son Jesus. and by grace he gives to you something you never could earn in your lifetime but he gives it to you anyways if you will receive it as a gift from god that's his forgiveness and his heavenly home is your destination the day you die and in the meanwhile to live his life for him it's a great place to live worry free faith alone that god wants us to know he is a wonderful abundant and generous god who provides from our salvation
for our earthly and daily lives. That's our God. And we celebrate Him. We celebrate that body of Jesus that became a man, died on the cross, His body, His blood. It's an opportunity for us to say, yes, thank you, Lord. Thank you for how much you've done for me. And I receive these elements with gratitude for your generous gift of life to me. So I'm going to invite the leaders to come and give out the bread. It symbolizes the body of Jesus, that body to identify with us. And I'll be a sympathetic high priest in heaven. And it's a great place for us to trust in him. Let me give thanks to God for this gift. Father, we thank you for your body and the Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that Jesus became a human being to understand our lives. And now we give thanks to you for his life on that cross. And Lord, with this bread, we thank you for your generosity to us. And we pray it in Jesus' name.